It took Hamilton streaming on Disney Plus for it to really click with me that maybe I should start thinking about musicals the same way that I think about an influential band or album. Before we had to stop going out in public because of this pandemic, I was pretty heavily involved in community theater. But aside from that, and seeing a handful of plays when I was in high school, I feel like I haven't had as much exposure to theater as I would like. And as cliche as it's becoming, watching Hamilton has just made me want to explore musical theater even more. And before COVID-19 hit, there were plenty of ways to do that. But I still kind of feel like maybe it's an inaccessible art form because maybe not a lot of people knew exactly where to look. So this week, I want to touch on how someone can get more into theater, explore it during a pandemic, and maybe have something to look forward to when we can all go out again, and examine how theater has shaped the music we love, and how that music has inspired theater. This is The Tim Gavin Show, a holistic look at music and pop culture. While its influence on popular music has changed dramatically over time, at one point music and theater had a very close link with many of the biggest hits of the early 20th century taken right from popular musicals at the time. Songs like Old Man River, My Favorite Things, My Funny Valentine, all started in musicals and became big hits in their own way. And of course, as soon as sound could be used in film, musicals went over into that medium. You had music like Over the Rainbow, White Christmas, The Man That Got Away, The Way You Look Tonight, all from musical films and all big hits and iconic songs that people still know today. But around the 40s and 50s, you started seeing the two deviate a little bit more. Theater stayed a little more traditional, and pop music found more of its own voice, especially in the dawn of rock and roll. Plus, one thing that you might notice is that there is a lag in popular music trends appearing in theater scores due to the length of time it takes to write and produce a show. And with music changing at such a rapid pace, it's hard to tell what music will be best suited for the medium. But one genre that always fills seats is jukebox musicals. Taking well-established music and making a story to fill the time between songs, and also catering to anyone looking for some nostalgia. Think Mamma Mia, Rock of Ages, stuff like that. And of course, who could forget the rock opera? You can't have rock music without some good theatrics. So naturally, you have a few bands flexing their creativity to create albums like Tommy by The Who or Pink Floyd's The Wall, which turned into movies and, in the case of Tommy, an actual play. Green Day's American Idiot also became a Broadway show at one point as well. But to me, the most important musical to blend in with rock music has to be the Rocky Horror Show. Most people know the movie, but that movie would not happen without its original form as a play in London's West End in the early 1970s. Rocky Horror influenced the counterculture of the 70s and provided safe spaces for the LGBT community, and the costumes played a part in punk fashion as well. Even though the concept was a tribute to campy sci-fi, the costume designer Sue Blaine actually didn't do any research for her designs and just went with costumes that were just straight up out there. And the look of Rocky Horror worked its way into shock rock and heavy metal too. I'd say the most obvious example being Marilyn Manson. You can't convince me that his look didn't come in at least part from Frankenfurter. And without the Rocky Horror Picture Show, we wouldn't have Meatloaf. And then, of course, we skip a few decades, come into the present, where we talk about the musical that started this conversation, Hamilton. One of the few non-jukebox musicals that seems to have gotten really, really big, and even though it was contained to Broadway, it still took the world by storm. And probably will be the musical that brings in a whole new generation of theater kids. 
And it's also one that does have some inspiration for more modern music. The easiest way to see that is with the Ten Dual Commandments motif, which takes some inspiration from the Notorious B.I.G.'s Ten Crack Commandments. And there's also a connection to Public Enemy there, because the Ten Crack Commandments samples Chuck D on the song Shut Him Down. Looking at some of the other inspirations for Hamilton, uh, My Shot is said to be reminiscent of Lose Yourself by Eminem. Uh, the Cabinet Battles, obviously, are rap battles with most inspiration coming from Grandmaster Flash and the Notorious B.I.G. And yeah, these are obvious choices, but they're obvious for a reason. They're just that good. Plus, even though they are obvious choices, that doesn't mean that everyone has seen them. Because even though it's not hard to find local theater, it is easier to just go to the movies or stream something at home. But I think people avoiding live theater for that reason are missing out. Of course, seeing live theater right now is next to impossible because of COVID-19, but I do want to give you something to look forward to when it's safe to resume life in a more normal setting. But what should we do in the meantime? Of course, Disney Plus now has two plays that can be streamed over there. There's Hamilton, but also Newsies can be streamed, both the movie and the live Broadway show. I also found a Broadway version of Netflix called Broadway HD. The only thing is, it does have a bit of a limited library. But because this podcast is about music as well, and coming up soon, we are going to be talking to a theater company that has made full use of the internet in these crazy times in the middle of a pandemic to still bring theater to people. Now, because this podcast is mainly about music, I do have some album suggestions. Josh Groban shows his love for Broadway on his seventh album, Stages, each song from a different musical. Uh, there's also the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack, Iconic. Make sure you find that on vinyl. It is actually one of the first records that I bought from my collection. And don't forget Phantom of the Opera. Yes, another obvious choice, but it is just so good. Make sure that you either pick up the 20th anniversary cast recording, which features the entire play on two CDs, or the original 1996 score. Now, I think there needs to be more conversation about how we can support theater when we can't physically be in a theater. And, and the arts as a whole are in a lot of trouble right now. Less extra cash means less people are going out buying new art, whether it be movies, music, or obviously anything theater-related. And I want to show that when this is all over, you don't need to visit Broadway or a venue in the big city to really enjoy theater. Right off the bat, one way I can really think to support theater is to keep social distancing for the time being. The more we all keep doing these small things like wearing a mask, keeping gatherings limited, not going out too much, keeping two meters apart, just those small things are going to make a big impact when done together by everyone. Some theaters are also finding other ways to survive. Uh, some are lucky enough to have insurance coverage, which covers pandemics, allowing cast and crew to stay on payroll and doing rehearsal meetings over video chats. Another resource that I've seen to help show off theater productions is video licenses for certain plays. Music Theater International has a select number of its plays that allow for recording of the production for home viewing only, and there are some strict rules that way, but I think it could be a great potential way to at least share a group's hard work with people close to them. I've even found a musical for kids that's meant to be performed online. Also from Music Theater International, The Musical Adventures of Flat Stanley, which is adapted to be rehearsed, produced, and performed remotely on the internet. While I was researching this episode, I also discovered that there is a theater company still managing to adapt and put on productions during a pandemic. Right now I'm talking to Pat Nims from Zoom Theater. With everything being cancelled, it's almost like this is, like 2020 is like the lost summer, in a way. 
In some ways it is, and in other ways it's a, or, or another way to look at it sort of as a do-over summer. Yeah. Yeah, so in some ways it's, it's a do, it's uh, everything's getting canceled, it's a lost year, but I'm, I'm I mean, I, I bore easily. So uh, when I, when it became apparent that I was going to have a couple of months on my hand, it was like, eh, okay. <laughs> I don't like being at loose ends. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. And actually, that's my kind of my first question for you. How long did it take after the pandemic started that you decided, okay, so I'm just going to find a way to adapt? Uh, less than a week. Yeah, so um, I had just finished directing a production of Sweeney Todd in Central Cal in the Bay Area in California. Okay. And um, that was up and then I came back to Portland and then it was canceled after the first weekend. Mid-March, we had opened up a production of Sweeney Todd in Northern California and um, it opened. So that was good. I mean, it was, it was very uh, uh, devastating at the time that it only ran for one weekend, but I also know folks who were, who never got their show opened. Uh, even to the point of just, you know, right up to the week of opening and previews and just having to cancel out then. So I feel uh, somewhat um, uh, fortunate that at least the, the show got open. But it was clear, I just had a bad feeling at that point that uh, it was just going to be a domino effect and this was just going to extend and extend and extend. And like, as I mentioned before, I, I get bored easily. Uh, when, I, when I'm not working on projects, then I don't feel in control of my life. Uh, you know, it's that, that illusion of being busy uh, gives, gives one um, purpose. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think I was just out on a bike ride. And um, I'm a, in, in the daytime, I'm a tech guy. Uh, I've been doing computer consulting for years for different uh, size businesses. And been a, we've been a distributed remote company for years. And um, I've been a user of Zoom for years and years and years and just seen their product get better. And um, yeah, there was something about, they, they announced, I think their remote background, the replacement background technology in, it was last fall. And for some reason that just sort of stuck in my mind and I thought, I wonder if this is good enough yet. Oh yeah. To actually do a performance because um, I mean, I, I really appreciate when there are recordings of live stage performances, especially when I'm doing research and such. But um, yeah, I don't necessarily specifically enjoy, um, you know, watching them all that much. Um, that I can't look where I want to on the stage. Um, it's it's recorded. It's not live. It's it's missing that that little bit of energy, that little yeah. bit of success. So yeah, I wanted to pursue this and see if in fact I could, um, yeah, make make something go uh, on Zoom. And that was uh, so it started strictly as an experiment. Yeah, but yeah. It, was about, it was about a week after, or less than a week after Sweeney Todd got shot down that I was thinking about, okay, how would we do this and what would we need and what would the, sh what would the right shows be? Yeah, that's a good question because another thing that I just realized might take into account uh, is, again, the Zoom backgrounds. Like, would you have people, like, put up green screens? Would you just use their homes or find a way to incorporate that? It can really make for, dare I say, a fun challenge for set design. It definitely, it definitely is a challenge. For me, the green screen is critical, uh, super critical for creating a unified environment for the actors. I mean, there are, there are definitely shows that exist where it, uh, you know, a home background and, and random home backgrounds is fine. Um, but if you have two people, so yeah, so the, I mean, the first show that we did was David Mamet's Reunion where there's a father and daughter talking and they're in the same space and 
And so it needed to look like I was, you were seeing either side of the same room. And that for me, to me, that's the difference between a Zoom reading and a Zoom performance. Were there any other big hurdles for trying to put together the production? Like, did you have issues with internet lag, for example? We've been fairly lucky on that score. Um, I'll come back to that because we did learn a lesson there. But um, the biggest issue in mid-March, which is when I started gathering the equipment to do this, because so so consistency of the visual is super important. In order to make that work, everybody needs to have a green screen. Everybody needs sufficient lighting to make that work. And a little ring cam isn't going to do it. It needs to be something a little more substantial than that. Sound is also then super important and camera quality. So I just decided uh, that the way that Zoom Theater would work is that Zoom Theater would acquire this equipment and then distribute it, you know, send tech kits to my actors so that they could then, you know, set up in their home performance space. So the biggest challenge in mid-March and actually ongoing has been getting the uh, web cameras. Um, Because the built-in cameras um, in most computers, laptops, et cetera, they're fine but they're not necessarily full HD. They're not uh, 1080p. And I'm, I'm, we're just using the little Logitech cameras um, that are 1080p, but even so, we're still, I'm still getting them from China with Chinese um, branding and, uh, and uh, packaging because in the US, um, they just, they're just gone. It's harder to find than toilet paper. I never thought, well, actually, no, that kind of actually makes more sense nowadays. Like, yeah, we got all the toilet paper, but how are we going to talk to people? Yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, all, I mean, all the corporations, you know, in the world, all the businesses in the world that suddenly had to send people home, and um, you know, many people had might have had a home desktop, but you know, not that many people really had working webcams. Yeah. So there was a huge rush um, in the business world for webcams and laptops, and so uh, at you know one point uh, you you can. You can get them quickly on eBay if you're willing to pay, you know, three to five times retail price. Yeah, but who has the money for that these days? Who has the money for that these days? Exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so so just sort of the logistics of getting those packages. The first show was just two people. So uh, getting that stuff in and then getting them to the actors, you know, through the handoff. Hey, I'll drop it on your porch or I'll ship it by UPS or whatever. Uh, that was that was kind of interesting. Um, and then you, so you mentioned internet lag, where we've, where we've run um, single, you know, distributed actors, each actor in their own home location. Mm-hmm. So far, the internet performance has been okay. The one place where we had a problem is we did a production, the second show that we did was, is called Lungs. Um, and those two actors were in the same space because they were married and they were sheltering together. But we decided as an, each show is a new opportunity to try something new. I mean, it's, it's a brand new world. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. <clears throat> so we decided to set that up like it was a theater in the round, since mm-hmm. they could be in the same physical space. Okay. So we ended up with four computers, each with two cameras, to get the four corners of the room and a standing view and a low view. So because there's a fair amount of floor work in lungs. And what we found is that with four computers broadcasting simultaneously, um, we were overrunning that internet connection. And so we actually had to step down the, the video quality of the cameras a touch to make it work. Because it's ah. just getting too laggy. Otherwise, it was too laggy. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of makes sense doing that. And I know that with the, the rights, when you pick up the licensing for mm-hmm. doing the plays, like 
a lot of them don't really take into account recording, much less posting it on the internet. What were, uh, did you have any challenges like finding plays with those specific rights or did you have to do any special negotiation with um, any of the rights holders? I've had plays, um, uh, requests for rights uh, declined, mm-hmm. um, both by um, uh, some of the larger publishers as well as by individual authors. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, many of the titles that I was interested in were uh, were, were licensed through Dramatists Publishing. Okay. So I just give a huge shout out to Dramatists because by mid-March, when I was looking at titles that I wanted to license, they had already adapted their licensing policy. And as far as I know, well, every play that I looked at, but as far as I know, their entire catalog, of course, there may be some exceptions, is available for on for uh, web streaming uh, with some conditions. Okay. Um, so that now is just built into their license model. And the, and the condition is, as long as it effectively is a performance over the web, as long as it's basically the same thing as you would have had in the theater, but the web just becomes the distribution model to the, or the distribution mechanism to the audience, mm-hmm. then they're cool with that. But that means, so it has to be live. Mm-hmm. It, the audience has to be pre-registered and pay, quote, nor standard ticket prices. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and no, you can record, but it's only allowed to stay up available, um, like for a couple of days. Uh, okay. That makes sense. But no long-term posting or distribution. And that, that, that was exactly what I, what I was looking to do. So I was, thank you very much. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I kind of wonder if we'll ever start seeing more publishers like allow for recording and like publishing on you know, something like Netflix, like watching Hamilton on Disney Plus, as cliche as that's becoming, like, I kind of feel like mm-hmm. that is going to be kind of a catalyst for accessibility for theater. Well, I think it, it, it could. Um, I could see that. It, it will be interesting to see what happens once we get past whatever tipping point of people going back into theaters is. I mean, my own prediction is that's a year away still. Yeah. If, if not more. Um, I think that uh, what is interesting is that the, the Zoom tools and or some of the various um, ancillary other uh, 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 platforms that are popping up for doing this are inexpensive enough that it's almost a, feels like a do-it-yourself way. So um, yeah, I don't know if the major platforms will carry it, but uh, certainly um, you know, uh, community regional uh, theaters absolutely can do it. And I think that there will be a point at which as we transition out of, you know, stay at home to some mixed mode, I'm certain that there will be productions that will be both live on stage and simulcast to the web for those audience members that aren't ready to go back into the theater again. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something to consider, like just the having that option. Because even though they're, the case low, the case numbers in my area are dramatically lower compared to other areas of the world, <laughs> I'm still scared to go outside. Not gonna lie. So, yeah, like yeah. I, if I could just it, like and having those options, I think would just be great. But are there any other things that you're noticing doing these productions that? you're maybe thinking, okay, this is working out really well. I kind of want to take this into 
when we can go into theater in a more public setting again. The main things that strike me from this experience, so this is the fourth Zoom play that I've, we're working on Macbeth currently, we're like three weeks from um, opening that. And uh, so, I mean, that's different because it is, it's a larger cast, this is 11 people in this cast. Uh, we're doing the, we're, there's, there are some cuts, but we're basically doing, you know, it'll be a two hour, two hour production. Okay. Um, what I am getting personally from this experience, one is um, the actors in these shows have to work much harder than they do in a stage production. I can see and that. Acting to green screen, acting a very emotional, you know, Lord Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, is, there, if, is this the dagger I see before me to, you know, your wall is um, tremendously draining, takes a tremendous amount of imagination and inventiveness on the part of the actor. Um, and the, the, the folks that I've worked with have just all been terrific and troopers. And, um, but I'm just so impressed by what it is that they bring with just within their imaginations. And in some ways I shouldn't be surprised, but in other ways to see it demonstrated just so divorced from not even some, you know, if you're playing a scene this way, you can't even see your, all you can do is hear your scene partner. Can't even see them over the screen in many cases. Uh, and then the other thing is that working remotely as a director uh, brings out um, tools and techniques that uh, I, I have to, I have to use my words more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of description, because um, I, mean, I, I can't even point to say, go that way, because go that way is probably reversed for them. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I can't even say go that way or, or look at him, because so I just, so, you know, even with giving notes, um, I've, got, I've got to say the name, hey, Tim, on that moment there, could you, you know, whatever that is, but just for them to even know that I'm talking to them when there's multiple people on a screen. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental exercise of, of, of uh, I don't know, Tetris or something, just sort of moving that around and just ha having to use your words to explain that. It's an interesting question of whether or not some of these techniques will come back into live theater. And I'm, to some extent, we've already seen that. I mean, we've seen the live video camera on stage and different productions on Broadway that some people do that and that's their sort of signature thing. Mm -hmm. And I've done live camera on Broadway. So I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know that we'll see it that much more. But I do think that this notion of Zoom theater, to an extent, will remain around after people are back in theaters just for sort of some of those accessibility issues that we talked about. I think that'll definitely be the case. And what is like mm -hmm. your dream production to bring into Zoom theater that you haven't had a chance to do yet? Well, the dream production for me, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to do it, is a musical. Pick any musical to, to I would love to do a, a holiday or, or a show that, you know, I mean, so yeah, in, in my, uh, in, in my uh, experience or my uh, past, I typically direct about, uh, you know, three musicals for every play that I do. And I okay. love working on plays, but, but I also do, do a lot of musicals and that, that's a piece that I'm missing. But just the, 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 the mechanics of uh, the engineering required to get simultaneous sound um, without, and, and multiple people singing at the same time without it turning into just a garbled digital ugh, mess. Yeah. Um, that's not happening in this cycle. <laughs> Probably not.
Well, so you, you can do it as, as long as, so like the backing, as long as the backing tracks are at the same location as the actor that's singing, then that works fine. But you and I singing a duet, the timing and, and Zoom just does not blend the multiple digital voices. You get that when people try to talk over each other, just in talking doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, getting the timing out. So that, that would be the dream. And uh, yeah, if someone could show me how to do that, then uh, that would be amazing. A link to Zoom Theater is in the description of this podcast. Make sure you check it out and check out the productions that they've got coming up over the next little bit. I think this could be a great time for writers too. I have no doubt that there are at least a few people writing plays or musicals that can be adapted for the internet. Limitation does breed creativity after all. And with some thinking outside the box, or in this case, inside the box, and a little bit of teamwork, I have faith that theater can adapt and come out of this stronger than ever but it is going to take patience, teamwork, and perseverance. Got a few bonus facts for you. One really cool thing that I noticed in the last part of Hamilton is all the motifs used throughout the entire play all come back and tie together in the final moments of Act 2. After reciting the Ten Dual Commandments, ten motifs are reused by Hamilton. In the film version of Moulin Rouge, Ozzy Osbourne was meant to provide the singing voice for the Green Fairy, which was supposed to be a long-haired muscle man instead of being played by Kylie Minogue. However, Ozzy does provide the Green Fairy's scream. Are you wondering if a play is on or off Broadway? All you have to do is check the seat count. In order to be on Broadway, a theater must seat at least 500 people. Back to Hamilton, it didn't technically begin as a musical. Lin-Manuel Miranda began the show with an idea for a concept album, coming up with a Hamilton mixtape before turning it into a full musical, with the mixtape eventually coming out as a companion to the original soundtrack. Many musicals also started this way, including Jesus Christ Superstar, which started out as a concept album done by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, as well as Chess by ABBA members Benny Anderson and Bjorn Uveas. And Hamilton, of course, isn't the only stage musical available to stream on Disney+. Plus. As mentioned before, the stage adaption of Newsies is also up there after being filmed in July 2016. And if you're looking for one song to use at an audition, Getting Married Today from the play Company is probably your best bet because it's widely considered to be the hardest song in all of theater to sing. It's very fast, and there aren't many chances to pause for a breath. But if you can master it, you can pass the ultimate audition test. Thanks for listening. Still lots of other episodes on The Tim Gavin Show to check out. And if you like music or want to explore the little things that bring music together, binge the rest of the episodes, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and review me wherever you can. Link to Facebook and other social media and further notes in the description. And a big thank you to Zoom Theater for their time on this episode. Link to their shows is also in the show notes too. I'm Tim Gavin. I'll talk to you next time.